Verse 22 of chapter 21 of Deuteronomy says this. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Now, in this context, for the nation of Israel, in a covenant with God, a society in a promised land, their land that God's given them, this is civil law. So this is a type of law, capital punishment, that you deal with in state courts and things like that, or different countries in human history. But it'd be the idea under the laws given in the moral law, excuse me, the civil law, that there'd be a just judgment. This person committed murder. They committed rape, murder, kidnapping, things like that, that were punishable by death. They've been found guilty, and they are going to be publicly executed. It's capital punishment. And so in this capital punishment, this would be a hanging. They would be hanged. And of course, hanging has been, long been a, a form of capital punishment in the human race. But it is the death of a violent criminal. It is society under God's law in this covenant removing them from the planet so they're not a threat to repeat that offense to other innocent people. So often we don't want to deal with difficult conflicts legally because like, I just, I don't want to have to confront this person that raped me or whatever, this person that stole all this money. But the truth is, if you don't confront them, they'll probably repeat that crime to someone else. And that's why it's so important where you follow through on things like this. I once had a man, my wife and I were leaving Calvary Vista, and a guy was in our car. It caught us off guard because we were leaving church. So it's in the parking lot next to Calvary Vista. It was an auto repair place that they allowed the church to use. And we're happy leaving church like you're leaving church in a good mood. And we come on our car, and there's a guy in our car trying to steal it. And he said, oh, I had the wrong car. And, you know, you're caught off guard in those situations. If you understand, you understand. Like, I wasn't really head on a swivel, razor sharp for this moment. And then Jennifer's like, no, he, he was trying to steal our car. So he's walking away. I go, hey, you, man, what are you doing in our car? So he ran up this hill across busy East Vista Way. I ran after him. And he went up a hill. And it was me and him in the dark. And he pulled a knife on me. And I said, in Jesus' name, you put that knife away. And the knife disappeared. Then he came down the hill, and he's trying to get away from me, and I was following him. He was Latino. And so in Vista, here's a white guy going down the street, tunnel Latino, stop in Jesus' name. And Vista is 70% Latino. So all these cars started pulling over, and these guys were coming out trying to give me a hard time. I'm like, hey, what are you doing, man? What's going on? I'm like, he's a criminal. He's trying to steal my car, and he pulled a knife on me. In Jesus' name, stay away and mind your own business. And we walked along East Vista Way, past 7-Eleven, past... Uh, Bobier. We went about three blocks and finally the cops came. I explained everything and they arrested him. And then I was going to have to go to court and testify in this situation. And I was very nervous and unsettled about this. And I must tell you when I went to the Vista court how relieved I was when it came sentencing that he came in and to his credit he came in before the judge because I thought I was going to tell my side of the story. He came in handcuffed there in the courtroom and the judge asked him how he pleaded and he said guilty. I cannot tell you how relieved I was when he pleaded guilty. I mean, I didn't even sleep the night before. I was so anxious over the whole thing. But in that process, I learned a couple things. There's power in the name of Jesus, not to fear evil men, probably not to chase violent criminals again next time, and that you need to do the right thing because I'm not going to avenge myself on someone trying to steal my car because we gave that car away and it, to someone to use, and it got hit by a drunk driver and destroyed. It was Jennifer's car when we got married. It was a cute little blue bug. 
It was a cute bug, you know? And we loved that car. It was my little surf car, but he was trying to steal it. Then we gave it to someone in the drug and alcohol ministry, and when it was parked on their street, someone totaled it. A drunk driver totaled it. And that's just the way it goes. But that was our private property. And we've already seen in the law the value of private property and the importance of private property and how God decrees private property that we're allowed to have that. Don't move the boundaries. That's private property. And so it was a very difficult time for me. It was very unsettling. The people coming at me on the street, threatening me. And all I could do was say in Jesus' name, and it worked the whole 30 minutes. So praise the Lord for that. So I'm telling you, so often with violent criminals, if you, you've got in Jesus' name, and after that, then I don't know. I don't know. Like it, it's, it's worked for me a couple of times in very serious situations because either Jesus is going to save me right now or I'm a goner. And in that situation, the knife disappeared. It was never found, and he pleaded guilty. But what the Lord showed me is you need to testify because he cannot be allowed to get away with this because criminals repeat offenses. And I say all this in the context of what we're reading here because this is capital punishment. In the law, when someone's, they, they did something very evil. The person that would hang from a tree, in the context of this passage, this person did something very evil, very evil. They didn't just steal your wealth like people come from India and panicking elderly people to go take all their money out and tricking them. They didn't do something like that. They did something violently evil, like rape, kidnapping, murder. And while I don't like these topics, they are in the Bible, and this is God's law for dealing with these things in the Mosaic Covenant in the Bible. He hangs. You hang him. Now, there is capital punishment by stoning, but this is capital punishment by hanging, which is kind of the idea the Romans had with crucifixion. The idea was to take criminals, violent criminals, and execute them publicly to strike fear in the people who were under Roman subjection that they wouldn't repeat the same thing. That's the idea of the cross. And, you know, like when Hitler marched through Europe and all that stuff and they would conquer Ukraine or Yugoslavia and these places, any collaborators, any like Yugoslav, like Tito's Yugoslavian partisans, they'd catch those guys, they'd hang them up right there and they'd hang them in public and they'd leave them hanging all over on the streets and stuff to strike fear in the people. This, there's nothing new under the sun. This is what conquering people do to other, I mean, the Mongols did it to the Russians and so on and so forth. This is how it worked. So in this context, we see a couple interesting things. It's, it's for a violent criminal who's been tried and found guilty for capital punishment. We also see that the body is not to hang overnight. So there's something about the criminal, even the criminal, their body being out overnight that would defile the land. So in a way, there's actually kind of mercy here. Because again, like when Hitler went through Yugoslavia, it got him to Russia late, which is why he didn't reach Moscow that first winter, and the rest is world history. But he was so angry with the Yugoslavians, or the Serbs, particularly the Serbs who part of Yugoslavia, that they because they fought him, that he just bogged down, making sure he punished everybody everywhere in that land. And he was six weeks late invading Russia, which is how he came up short of Moscow by about 20 miles when the winter set in in early December. But he left those people hanging on the lamppost to strike fear in people. So in this context, again, a very mature topic, but it's important to understand it because we're moving toward Jesus on the cross. So stay with me. Capital punishment, it's the right thing to do. In God's law, the civil law, you take their bodies down before nighttime falls because their bodies would defile the land. You've administered civic justice 
crime, public punishment, to restrain future criminals, and to bring peace upon the land, and as we saw on Tuesday night, to remove the blood guilt on the land as well for the violent crime of the individual, what they did. The human experience is messy, and human government's messy, and human justice is very messy. But it has to have, you have to have law and order, because we know in the last days we're moving toward disorder and chaos, but God is a God of order. Now, this passage could be taught just like that in its context. And the application would be like, hey, don't, you just know when you do evil things, there's a consequence for it, and if you've done something violent and you go to jail for a while, that's the way it works in, the, in God's universe. So don't do evil crimes. We could say that. But what's so fascinating about this passage for us is in the New Testament, this passage is expounded by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul to bring us to Jesus and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And particularly young people, last week when we were here with me, we saw that Jesus is the prophet. Remember him, you shall hear, and he'll give an account for how you hear. Well, tonight, Jesus is the one that's accursed, hanging on a tree. So you can keep your spot here in Deuteronomy, but you can turn with me to Deuteronomy, excuse me, to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll see what the New Testament says about this passage in Galatians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, you can. And this is what we read in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to give you the context. In the context of Galatians, Paul is explaining that we don't save ourselves. No one's saved by good works, but they're all guilty sinners, and we can't save ourselves. We'll come back to that. And he's talking about being justified by faith, not by being a good person, world religions, or human philosophies. He's talking about the issue of sin, and you have to be saved from sin by Jesus, and he's the only one that can save you. That's the overall context. And then he says this, because in the context of the Galatians, they thought they could keep the Ten Commandments, the moral law that we've been studying in Deuteronomy. And he made very clear that if we could save ourselves, then Christ didn't need to die on on the cross. In fact, he said, we know that a man is justified by the works of law, keeping the Ten Commandments, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That was chapter 2, verse 16 of Galatians. And we believe that Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the good works of the law of God. For by the works of the law of God, no flesh, that is no human being, can be justified before God. In other words, no one going to heaven because they're a good person. We're either going to heaven because we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ or we're condemned to hell. It is that simple. If we could save ourselves, the law would show that we could save ourselves, but we can't, and we'll come back to that. So now, later on in chapter 3 of Galatians, with that background, it says this, For as many people who are under the works of the law, like the Jews, are under, they're under a curse. They're under a curse. They're not under a blessing in their context because they thought they could keep the law of God, the moral law, the civil law, the religious law, they thought they were justified by, before God, that they were without sin and they could justify themselves. This is what the Pharisees were like, and this is why they hated Jesus so much. For as many as under the works of the law, chapter 3, verse 10, Galatians, they're under the curse. There's a curse in that. And what they mean by you young people under being under the law is they're not going to be under Christ. They refuse to be under Christ and to be saved by faith. They're going to be under the law, the Ten Commandments say, this is how we're getting to heaven. They're rejecting getting heaven being under Christ. They're saying we're going to get to heaven because we're good people. So you can put all the world religions there and all the self-righteousness of men and women there as well, their philosophies. Okay? So they refuse to be under Christ, but they're under the law, that they're a good person and they're going to heaven because they're good. And he says this, but as many as are under the works of the law, they're under a curse 
There's a curse there. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In the law of Deuteronomy that we've been reading, it says if you don't do all of them, you're cursed. Well, of course we don't do all of them. We'll come back to that in a minute. But everyone says, well, you know, even Mary Poppins said she's practically perfect in every way. But practically perfect in every way. But she wasn't, right? Being facetious there. But we all say that, well, no one's perfect. Right. No one is perfect. But have you ever talked to someone who thinks they are? You ever talked to someone who thinks they have no sin in their life? I have. He was actually a pastor. And he put his arms around me and said, son, someday you'll understand the truth like I do. I don't sin. And that's ended a great ministry because that was a ministry of Sunriders, the surf movie. And he was the pastor over the movie, not a Calvary guy. And I put his arm off my shoulder and I thought, that guy is creepy weird. And one thing I know, young in my faith, is that we all sin. And therefore, I know this guy is way off. He absolutely thought, and he carried himself like he was perfect, and the rest of us poor blind sheep have not arrived. And that's how the Pharisees were toward the common people, and that's why they loved Jesus and had no connection with the Pharisees. So in this context, we'd call that person a Judaizer because that's what Paul and the apostles had to confront in the early church because they went to church and they said, well, Jesus is good, but he, you get Jesus so you can be saved by the law. So he's saying you're not going to be saved by the law because cursed is everyone who doesn't keep all the law. So you just come short once, like tell your mom a little lie, tell your parents this, steal that little thing that was theirs or whatever. Just, the sin is in us and the sin nature proves itself. And so that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. So it's progressive. So if you're under the law, you're under a curse. And curse is everyone who does not continue in all that's written in the book of the law. Look, we've gone through Deuteronomy. We can't do it all. Like I keep saying, it's not saving us. It's a it's a great way to live our life in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we sure can't do it in the flesh. It's hard enough trying to even live those things out in the Spirit. It's a lifetime journey to love our neighbors ourselves. And as this text progresses here in Galatians, he says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Okay, because 1,500 years from Mount Sinai to the time Christ came. So what we mean by justify for younger people, it means they're not, that no one can stand before God and say, I'm going to heaven because I kept the Ten Commandments. No one can say that. Because God himself said the just shall live by faith. That's what he said in the book of Habakkuk after the law was given. Now that phrase in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, the just shall live by faith, is a very important verse. Habakkuk said that around 500 B.C. during the captivity of, of the Jews, during the Babylonian captivity. That's a very important verse because that verse is quoted by three different New Testament writers to prove that we're never saved by being under the law and doing good works. That we have to be saved by faith. Faith in the promises of God and the person of God. Not in ourselves, but in what the Lord has promised. So he goes on to say in verse 12, yet the law is not of faith. So see, we can't, we can't earn our way to heaven and say we're being saved by faith. The two are diametrically opposed to each other. Either we can earn our way to heaven and be under the law, or we're under faith in Jesus Christ, and that's how we're saved and going to heaven. But the two can't be merged. So yet, verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them, and we can say the woman who does them, shall live by them. If we're going to be under the law and say we're going to heaven because we're good people, we have to have perfection in all that we do. We can't come short once. That first little white lie when you're 27 sinks the ship. You're done. That one little thing, that's it. You're done. 
So it goes on to say now, verse 13, and here's how we get our text from Deuteronomy tonight. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of God's law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, quoting our text from Deuteronomy tonight, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's our verse from Deuteronomy. And not only is it quoted in the New Testament, it's quoted as an apex of a theological thought being built. And this is the apex of that thought. It's not like used randomly, like just sort of randomly in there, like uh, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, quoting Proverbs chapter 3 in Hebrews or something. This is a building theological statement that we're saved by grace according to faith in Jesus Christ, building, 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 and that you can't have faith and works at the same time to be saved, works of the flesh, and this is the apex. So when the Holy Spirit's building this case that we have to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and be under faith and saying, if you're under the law, you're cursed, but if you're under Christ, you're saved, and they can't, there's no middle hybrid, an ambiguity of the two, it's impossible. It's either under the law and cursed or under Christ and saved by faith and justified by faith. If you're under the law, by, if you're under Christ by faith, then we realize and the apex of this whole thought process, building, building, building theologically, that Christ became the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is him who hangs on a tree. This passage from Deuteronomy is quoted by the Holy Spirit from black and white version, if you will, the Old Testament, to full color and the richest level to tell us that Christ is the one who is cursed and hung from a tree. And even as when he was crucified, Pilate said, I find no sin in him. He was innocent. They released Barabbas instead. Barabbas was the one who was cursed. And there's a Barabbas in us all. I've done that study. He represents humanity. Barabbas is going to be hanged from a tree because he's a criminal. He's a murderer and a thief. He's a traitor. He's a conspirator. And he gets let off the hook for free. And Christ is when they say, crucify, crucify. But wait, remember when we did Leviticus outside last summer? And the story about the two birds for leprosy, because leprosy speaks of sin. So when you would declare a leper clean from their physical leprosy, you brought two birds. And the one bird was sacrificed, the blood was shed, and then sprinkled on the other bird, and that bird was released. So God gives us these imageries to help us understand what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then again in the New Testament says that God made him who knew no sin. He's not cursed. He said, don't think I came to cancel the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He did keep the whole law, every part of it. Jesus didn't lie once. He didn't give sass to his mother. He, he, he paid his taxes according to the rules of the day. Jesus never, see the Father, there's no shadow of light or turning with the Father. Jesus is the light of the world and he doesn't walk in darkness. There is no darkness. God is light and him is no darkness. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the moral law, the civil law, and the religious law of the law of God. But we haven't. But he fulfilled all of it. Never a bad day, never an incompletion. Never a bad attitude in third grade when he had a fever. He never retaliated to the kids that bullied him on the playground in fourth grade. 
He never did that. So when it says that Christ made him, that God made him, Christ who knew no sin, become sin for us, that we can become the righteousness of God, that's what happened. He took that we should have been on the tree, cursed. He takes that, takes the wrath of God, the Lord has laid on upon him the iniquity of us all, and then he imputes or reckons our account his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, cursed as everyone hangs on a tree, that we might become the righteousness of God. And combined with John chapter 1, not born of the flesh, not born of blood, but born of the Spirit. This is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that background from Galatians, illuminating this text to full understanding, we now come back to the Deuteronomy text and we look at some interesting things it says. In the context historically, contextually, and then we consider the human race and why we're the church and who we are and what we're doing. If a man commits sin, well, look at that, verse 22. Back at Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. If a man committed a sin, well, that if is the, not necessary. <laughs> when a man commits a sin. Again, the context is serious criminal penalty of capital punishment. But we know in God's universe Sin is sin. Sin is the choice to reject God's governance over us. When God made Adam in his image and made Eve from Adam, and the two of them there were sinless, a literal Adam in a literal garden, in a literal six-day creation, there in the garden, he gave them a choice. The tree of life, which really represents Christ, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Love has to have a choice, and they had a choice. It's not robotic. You can't make people love you. That's why marriage is always a step of faith because it's a journey to keep loving the person you committed to for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long it might be that you could live and enjoy that experience. Love's always a choice. God's given us free will and self-determination under his sovereignty as he runs his universe and leads his universe. And there, there was an opportunity of perfect governance where the things that we don't like, I don't like to see death at all. I don't like death, particularly in the animal kingdom. I've mentioned this many times. Everyone was an herbivore. Everyone. That T-Rex, he had those teeth, but he was chomping leaves. He was chomping leaves, not other dinosaurs, before sin. Because the Bible tells us that when Adam sinned, death entered the world. So before that, every single created creature in the universe was functioning in the economy of perfect life, eternal life. There was no sin, there was no death. We are told that death entered the world when Adam sinned. So there in the choice where Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that we're told in Romans chapter 5 that sin entered the world through Adam. And thus David would say in Psalm 51, in iniquity I was brought forth from my mother's womb. We are born sinners, and every cell that multiplies from one cell in the womb to birth, the cells replicating all that unique DNA that makes up you and I who we are, there's a spiritual stain over every cell. And as the blood's doing what it's doing, and the, and the baby's developing in the womb, and then comes forth, that blood and the, the brain, the development, all of it, fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in one, Psalm 139 by David. As beautiful as that baby is, that baby has a sin nature in its DNA. The baby is going to sin. 
And of course, by the time they're two, their first word is not yes, it's no. It's rejecting your governance. Your son, your daughter is rejecting your governance. That's why it's so important to honor your father and your mother. And that's why it's so sad that the last days as people be haters and despisers of their parents, like communist nations teach their children to be when they raise the kids instead of the parents, which is not God's model ever. So sin entered through Adam and all sin. We're told in the Old Testament, everyone sins. We're told in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. We're born tripped up to miss the mark. And it's only a matter of time until we show how we're going to miss the mark and not we're going to reject God's governance over us. Now, we're also told that no one seeks the Lord, no, not one. So we're all born in sin. We don't seek the Lord. We might seek religion to deal with the consequences of sin and the guilt of sin, and there's a lot of psychology behind that. But no one truly seeks the Lord. The Lord has to draw us to himself by the Spirit through pointing us to Christ and the gospel message. So praise the Lord if you've responded to the gospel message that you have. Because there's many people that don't. And I don't understand it, but that's between them and God of the universe. But if a man commits a sin, their sin was capital punishment. But we know that our sin brings capital punishment, for the wages of sin is death. We are born sinners, and we're born under a death sentence. We'll get to in a minute. But we're sinners. So, you know, we say like, okay, all right, Joey, yeah. In iniquity, my mom brought me forth in sin. So what does that mean? It means it really is a young earth. It means it really is a six-day creation. It means that death entered the world because Adam sinned. And if there's theistic evolution, which is what liberals believe, liberal ministers they teach that those six days are ages to harmonize with Darwin, who is a demented, evil person, along with Marx. And you look at the fruit of Darwinism and Marxism. And there's people that are trying to uh, build a bridge with those people. There's a reason Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11 are the 11 most attacked chapters of the Bible because of the foundation of the gospel message. Let me tell you something. If the creation account is not reliable, you shouldn't even be in church tonight. Go eat and drink and be merry because you're to be most pitied at all, of all people. But let me tell you, the gospel of the New Testament, Old Testament, harmony of the creation account, six little days, stands the test of true science. More importantly, it's what God says about himself. It's our origin. Because Christ came and died for sinners, for in Adam all sin and die, but in the second Adam we are saved by grace. So it is the sin nature that we receive from Adam. It's the sin nature that brought death on the human race. It's the sin nature that brought death on the universe, Romans 8 tells us. Thus, the law of entropy, the universe is expanding while dying at the same time. It is the sin nature from our literal head, Adam and Eve, that brought that. And that's why we say no instead of yes when we're two years old. That's why we rebel against God. We rebel against authority. That's why we're born sinners. And that's why we need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we are born sinners. If there's not a real Adam then the author of death is not man and our head, but it's God. But God is not the author of death. Adam, the head of our race, is the author of death with his wife Eve. And that's why we die. God is not the author of death or the pseudoscience of Darwinism. 
It's demented. Survival of the fittest is cruel. It's demented. And it's completely contrary to the statement, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Because that is darkness. Watching hyenas attack a lion and kill it is darkness. Watching lions devour an antelope is darkness to me. It's ugly. I couldn't watch it on Mutual of Omar's Wild Kingdom as a kid. I can't watch it now. I feel sad when I see a bird die. God is not the author of death. He is the author of life. And the head of our race, Adam, brought sin into the world when he and Eve rebelled against God. Thus, all sin in Adam. And the wages of sin is death. So what we need to understand, the problem in our universe, the problem on this planet right now is not human government. Most of us know this. The problem is the sin nature. And man is always looking for excuses to change sin, give it new names, to somehow blame God for sin and make him the author of sin. But let God be true and every man a liar. We are sinners. Our neighbors are sinners. We're saved by grace. They have to be saved by grace. And that's the way it works. In Adam, all sin. And in Adam, all die. So when you go away to college and you go out in the real world and people mock at you because you believe in a young earth, just rejoice. Because they're persecuting you for righteousness' sake and they're persecuting you for Jesus' name's sake. And don't forget when they asked Jesus about divorce, he said, have you not read how he made them male and female a literal head of the race? They're gender identified by God. They're marriage defined by God. Origin, gender, the family unit. And what have we watched attack since you kids came in the world, you teenagers? Your origin, your gender, and the family unit. Man can... Shake his sinful hand at the Lord and fist and finger all he wants. But know this, God is true and every man's a liar. And God is light and has no darkness at all. Trust me and you'll thank me when we're in glory in eternity that you heard the glorious gospel preached here. A young earth, all in Adam's sin, and Christ is the second Adam who saves us from our sin. You will thank me on the day of Christ Jesus. Now you might be upset with me for other things, but know this, I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. And I'm going to lay my life down for it because it's getting more hostile toward this worldview, which is God's word. But the hostility against God's word is always there anyways. So a literal creation, a literal head of the race who brought sin into the world, and thus we all sin. Now the wage of sin is death because look what it says here. Again, the context historically was a criminal who's going to be executed for capital punishment. But it's used to speak of Christ. So now it says that the wages of sin is death. Now, in this text, it says the one who sins will die. So this is the gospel again, because all have sinned, Romans 3.23, Romans Road 6.23, and the wage of sin is death. What's it say here? If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, he is put to death. And so we are born under the death sentence. Now, we know for a fact that we're dying. We know that for a fact. I mean, we're going to die. You, you, can get to, you can be super strong, have great genes, like in the genetic gene pool, and be pretty fit like my dad at 91. But dad is dying. We're under a death sentence. What do we always say? Death and taxes, the two surest things in the human experience. That's why they've proven true in my life. We're dying. 
So even when we're growing like you beautiful young people, you're dying. It's in you to die. You will die. You will tap out at a certain point of your beauty and your physical strength, and then you'll begin entropy. Entropy wins with everybody. The second law of thermodynamics is the death sentence upon the universe, upon planets, stars, galaxies, and upon our human bodies. We are dying. The terrestrial body is what we have right now. Now, in Christ, we get a celestial body that's in glory and immortal. But this body is dying. And when you think about the death, the death is threefold. We talk about this. We're born separated from God. So there's a spiritual death. We're born to die because we're going to die. In, and what does it say about Adam? It's there in Genesis. You know what it says? Adam died. My God said he would. We all die. With very few exceptions. Except Enoch and Elijah. So that death... He was expelled from God's presence. Thus his descendants, Cain and Abel, and then Seth, they were not born in the fellowship with God that Adam had in the garden, with Adam and Eve had with the father in the garden. They were born separate. So they, didn't, they weren't born with the spirit alive in them to have that spiritual relationship. Because what did Jesus say to the woman at will? The day is coming now is when you will worship God in spirit and in truth, not here or there. He was talking about being born again through faith in him. God is spirit. And so, when Adam and Eve sinned as the head of our race, that death of the spiritual life was passed on to us. So none of them were born are born spiritually alive that way in the cognitive relationship with God that Adam and Eve had. And this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Very, verily I say unto you, unless a man is born again, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, Well, will a man go back in his mother's womb? He says, no, that which of the flesh is flesh, your first birth, but that which of the spirit is spirit, your second birth. Do not marvel that I tell you that you must be born again. There must be a second birth. And that's why John chapter 1 says, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not born of the flesh, not born of love, not born of the will of man, but born of God by the spirit. We are born spiritually dead. We are dying physically. And then the threefold element, the triune nature of death, is we're headed for eternity, and eternal death is to be in outer darkness, separated from God for all eternity, which Jesus clearly taught is hell, which he taught on more than he did heaven. So we have a triune death we're born into. We're born spiritually dead, we're facing physical death, and an eternal death of separation with God. When Jesus came into the world, he said that the light came into the world, but men loved darkness and they don't come to the light. Then he said something very interesting. He said, don't think that I came into the world to condemn it. The world is already condemned. I came to save it. This whole world out here, in this mad, mad world, that is just spinning out of control in insanity, was born in death, separated from God. They don't have the capacity apart from faith in God to make proper decisions with the fear of God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and those who reject Christ are lacking the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. So their humanity trying to govern themselves not under his governance. They're choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, aren't they? Rather than the tree of life. But what's the choice of the church? 
We choose the tree of life. Jesus is life. He gives abundant life. He gave his life to give us life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, if a man sins and is deserving of death, he'll die. And we know with the sin nature, we are born sinners, and we are under the death sentence, and we will die. Now, we talk about missing the mark, and I've talked about this before, but society makes a distinction between a rapist, a murderer, and a kidnapper from a shoplifter and a car thief. And you think car thief's a pretty big deal, but Cousin Jimmy's arrested people have stolen cars, and he's got to let them go. They just take the car back. There's nowhere to put them. They write, it's crazy how lawless everything has become. I, it's crazy. But we do draw a distinction between, you know, they have the different bracelets at the Santa Ana jail that represent, like, what type of level of criminal you are, like how violent you are. So they kind of know. But we have a distinction of the criminality and the, the offenses. We have misdemeanors. You're riding your skateboard, walking your dog, and smoking weed on the pier. No one's going to give you a ticket for that, but that would be a misdemeanor. You're not supposed to smoke publicly in Huntington Beach. That's a misdemeanor. But then, again, you shoot at somebody, or you have a big riot like the flash mob last weekend, 110 people arrested. Did you see that? That was crazy. Last Saturday night, that was insane. Police helicopters everywhere. You got arrested. Your name's in the paper. We know where you're from. It's a little bit higher level of criminality. But you broke the law in both cases. Society makes a distinction, but with God, again, to miss the mark, you're guilty of all. So the death, there's not different degrees of death like, okay, well, you're, you just, uh, you're smoking weed on the pier with your, riding your skateboard or your bike when they told you not to after hours. Hell's not as bad for you. Um, you're not really, like, you get to maybe go to purgatory, but this person who kidnapped, raped, and murdered somebody, they're, they're going to be in, they're, they're really going to the deepest, darkest place. Actually, you're either in or you're not. You're either in the kingdom or you're not. You either have all the eternal life or you have none of the eternal life. And this illustration became so clear when my son Timothy was at college at Cal Maritime with the flag system. It was a pass-fail, and as a maritime captain, you have to know every single flag when they fly from a ship, what it means. The distress, need aid, whatever. There's about 50 different flags a ship can fly in the open seas, and you have to know what every one of those flags mean. And he had a test where if you get 49 right and one wrong, you fail the class. And it would set you back a whole year because it's all staggered how you do it with that specific major that he had with maritime transportation. So it didn't matter if you just forgot one flag or 49 flags. <laughs> you failed. And that's the way death is with sin. The wages of sin is death. We make distinctions of misdemeanors and felons and violent criminals. The way God's law works You either keep it all or you're done. In fact, in the book of James, it says this. This is awesome. Just for all those people think, well, you know, I'm pretty good. Might go good for me. But in the book of James, let me get there right now. Chapter 2, it says this. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Either you get all the flags or just that one flag that you don't get, it sinks your ship. You're done. That's how it works. Sin is sin, guilt is guilt, and death is death. And before we move on from this, this is something I've been thinking a lot about with application. People know they're going to die. They don't like to think about it. They know they're going to die. 
Most rational people realize, I've lived 90 years, I'm eventually going to die, or 100 years. Most rational people admit that people generally aren't seeking after the Lord. So the two evidences that we can see on this side of eternity in time, space, and matter of death, and the evidence of what the scripture declares about humanity, we can see with our own eyes. We have evidence to give us faith to believe that final third element of eternal death is waiting for all humanity. We know people don't seek the Lord. We know people are going to die. Those are two elements of the threefold death sentence. And those two things we can see in time, space, and matter. And they're a warning to us and an exhibit A to us that the third element of eternal death is waiting for all those who step into eternity without Christ Jesus. And this is why we are moved with compassion for the lost. This is why we do feed the orphans and take care of the widows. This is why we are trying to advance the gospel. This is why we do have love and empathy for immigrants and illegal immigrants and refugees and scattered strangers all over the planet. This is why. See, when Christ gives us, makes us alive and we're born of the Spirit, we can see these things. We become spiritually discerning. We're not like what Jesus said to Peter, you're not mindful of the things of the Spirit. There's the natural man, there's the carnal man, and there's the spiritual man. And the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, is a woman who's born again of the Holy Spirit, who is yielded to the Lord. And that woman can discern light and darkness, right and wrong, truth and falsehood. And so can that man. But the natural man, the natural woman that you work with, live next door to, apart from Christ, they can't. They know they're going to die. They know they're not seeking the Lord. Or the religion they've chosen or philosophy they've chosen isn't working. And yet, they're willing to just not even think about their soul in eternity. We need to think about our soul in eternity and what we're doing in time before we get to eternity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You should fear hell. I fear hell. We should fear standing before the Lord. I fear standing before the Lord in a good way, and so should you. Our grace is not a cheap grace. Deserving of death, he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree. So we're born sinners, and we deserve to die for our sins. But here comes the glorious gospel again, where it says in the last part of this passage in Deuteronomy, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was accursed for us, you and me. He was accursed for us. He hung on that tree in our place, accursed for us. Think about that. Sinful nature, death sentence, spiritual, physical, eternal. And Christ, in the fullness of time, came into the world, born of a woman under the law, and lived the perfect sinless life, and died an unjust death, so you and I don't have to be cursed on a tree. That's how he died for on the tree. And that that curse is so real is evident when Jesus says concerning the Father, who he had always had relationship with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Deuteronomy tells us that curse is a person who hangs on a tree, that's just the forerunner, the prelude, the shadow of what would really happen. Jesus on the cross, a curse with all the sin of the world upon him for you and I. For the Lord, it says in Isaiah 53, has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he was accursed for you and I. And because he was accursed, we are redeemed. In Romans chapter 5, what this means really plays out for us with this wording. So let me read to you. For in one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. And he goes on to say in Romans 5, verse 16, For judgments which came from the offense of resulting in condemnation... That is through Adam, 
we're all guilty, but through Christ, the free gift which came from many offenses result in justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the one who's cursed hanging on a tree. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. This is theology, WG. This is the glorious gospel of grace. Paul would write to the Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved, that through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And he would say in chapter 6, verse 23 of Romans, which I've been quoting already, but for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, he gives us abundant life. Our spirit's made alive. We're born again. We're still going to die physically. We're facing that. We all still face that. But remember, when facing death, David said a thousand years before Christ, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So for us, when we face death, it's a shadow. It's not the substance. Remember, we're going to trestles. We're going surfing at lowers. Here comes the train. We're standing right by it in the afternoon, evening time. The train's going by. Whew, it's loud. It's moving. It's a freight train that's going fast. Or maybe it's a surf liner. It's really moving, and you're standing right there. You're three feet from the track. It's humming. Don't stand three feet from the track. Five feet. It's humming. It's wailing, and you're right there, and it's shaking. It's so loud. It's going by so fast, but it's the shadow that you're in, not the substance. The shadow is over you, but the substance is passing you. So, yes, we have to face death, but when we face it, Christ is coming for us to be absent from the bodies present with the Lord. When Stephen was dying, he saw Jesus coming for him. It's just like, well, there it is, the freight train of eternity. It's the shadow going by you, but it's not hitting you. It's not the substance. It's the shadow. Your unbelieving friends, your mocking relatives... That train smacks them for all eternity with no second chance. But you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, declared righteous through who he is and what he's done for us, I'll fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And he's coming for us, just like he did for Stephen. It's just a shadow, WG. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we have the eternal life because we have the abundant life. We're made alive through faith in Jesus. Yeah, we're going to get the shadow of that train going by. We will face the grave. We all have to, unless the trumpet sounds for us with the return of the Lord. But in eternity, we go from glory to glory. It's not yet revealed, but when he comes in his glory, we will be in his glory. This terrestrial must be put on celestial. We have to put on the eternal glory. And we're going to have glorified bodies in eternity. Billy Graham's not going to look 100 in eternity, and neither are you. You're going to be your full glorified body, what was intended even when you pass through your journey of time, space, and matter in this thing we call life. I won't look like this in eternity. My son that died in the womb won't look like he looked when I held him in my arms. Jesse won't look like that in eternity. He'll be in his glory, even as I'll be in my glory, and you will be in your glory. I've had two dreams of the kingdom with glory, and I'm sure they're both in the Lord. And what I saw was glory. So here's a concluding thought that's really important. If a man sins, deserving of death, and then you put him to death, 
that curse is one hangs on the tree. So Jesus did that for us, but not just to save us, but to assure us. And this is what I want you to leave with here tonight. Jesus did that to assure us. In 1 John chapter 5, John the Apostle said this. I have written these things to you who believe in his name, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. It is a gift we've received that you may know. So from the youngest in here tonight who confess Christ to the oldest in here tonight who confess Christ, I want you, as an ambassador of Christ and a minister of the gospel, just being a conduit of the word, that you would know that you have eternal life. See, this is the glorious gospel because under the curse, you might think you've kept the law. You're not sure if you have that one thing going against you, but you're feeling pretty good. But you could never know. And that's world religion. You could never know you're saved. You just never know. Buddha doesn't give assurance. Muhammad doesn't give assurance. It's fatalistic. Oh, it's the will of Allah. Like, what's the will of Allah? Fatalism? Human philosophies? Do you think Marx gives assurance? Did Stalin give the Soviet Union assurance? Khrushchev? Did Hitler give the Germans assurance? Bonhoeffer had assurance because he was under Christ in faith. These things I've written that you could be, he would know that you have eternal life. So in all this craziness around us, the steady compass is cursed is him who hangs from a tree. Christ became a curse for us that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. Christ on the cross isn't so we can be uncertain about our purpose, our destination, our calling, our eternal glory. His positional righteousness given to us through faith in him is based upon who he is when he took the curse. It's not based upon us being under the curse. It's based upon him being the perfect substitute for the curse. So that righteousness is imputed to us. And these things I've written, said John, that you would know that when you have the son, you have eternal life and you keep on believing. So WG... We give thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of this church, who has called us to the upward, glorious upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That yes, we did sin and we do sin. And yes, we are deserving of death. But even better, yes, Christ became a curse for us, having died in our place to justify us. And as it says in Romans, that he'd be the justifier of those who are justified. Not you, not me. No sons of Adam, no daughters of Eve. Christ justifies us, and he's coming for us. And it's a triumphant life. It's a victorious life. So we can say like Paul, I do not count my life dear to me, nor do these things going on move me, that I can stay on course and complete the race that he has set before me. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ.